Welcome to the Focus Church Teachings Podcast. We hope this brings a lot of encouragement to you, but we also want you to know that we believe discipleship doesn't occur here, but occurs in small groups where people share their gifts with each other in many-to-many discipleship. If you want to know more about that, stick around after the teaching. So I just want to talk a little bit. It's New Year's, right? We've, we've been through this extended Advent. We, we leaned into celebration, and now it's over. And, and that is like anticlimactic. And I know it is. And it's, it's kind of this thing about Christmas that every year we have this large holiday and there's a lot of buildup. Even without us leaning into it, there's a lot of buildup, right? And, and the church even has this tradition of leaning into it where we light candles really to anticipate what's coming. And this year we leaned in hard, right? We actually extended the Advent a whole extra couple of weeks and we, we did a lot of special events and, and we extended the Advent even past a little bit. Last week's teaching was even an Advent thing or two weeks ago, last week was movie night. That was not an Advent thing, but it was fun. Um, but we, we really leaned heavily into it. And I know that for some of you, the question is why? You know, there's so much build up to Christmas. Even just our culture builds up to Christmas. There's specials and there's events and there's all these things. We lean into it, we build up to Christmas, then Christmas happens, and then what? Right? It, it, it's weird because the whole point, even the reason we leaned in, we light candles on this Advent wreath, is because so much of the holiday is in fact about anticipation. It isn't just about the day itself. It's about the lead-in. It's about the build-up. And part of that is because we're really trying to emulate the anticipation that the Jews felt waiting for the real Messiah. But it does lead to this interesting moment where Christmas is over and what happens? You blow out the candles on the Advent wreath. You put it back in your garage, if you're me. You take down the Christmas tree, reluctantly, if you're me. You know, you go back to work, probably also reluctantly for many of us. Your kids, if, if they're adult and they've come home, they go back to school. They go back to work. Your younger kids go back to school. Life goes back to normal. And it really is kind of like, man, we had all this buildup and then it's done. And I know for a lot of people, there's a fairly serious letdown to that too. And so it may seem even better to not have the buildup, to say, you know, why, why do we do this? And, and what happens now, right? We've, we've lit the last candle. We've put it away. We've filled up our recycle bins. That's another thing that happens in our house after Christmas. I think it's okay, first of all, let me just acknowledge, and kind of impossible to not feel a little bit of disappointment, a little bit of anticlimactic feel to the whole thing. There's no way that it can sort of live up to the hype, but I think there's a reason for that. And I think the reason for that is because the holiday is only intended to be a shadow. The holiday isn't intended to be the thing that we're waiting for, do you understand that? The holiday is the waiting. The holiday is the anticipation. I mean, think about it this way. All holidays, if you really think about it, are not things. All holidays are remembrances of things, aren't they? Martin Luther King Jr. Day is coming up. Martin Luther King Jr. Day is not Martin Luther King Jr. (laughs) It is a remembrance of Martin Luther King Jr. All holidays are reflections, chances to look back and remember what's happened. With Christmas, it's a little different because it's not only remembering what's happened, but it's remembering what's going to happen. It's an anticipation. It's a looking ahead. And that makes it a weird sort of holiday. But it is a shadow. It feels fleeting because it is. It feels like it should last all year long. How many people during Christmas say, we should carry the magic of Christmas all year long? Man, I would love to do that. But my employers aren't going to do that. (laughs) And my schools aren't going to do that. And my wife isn't going to let me keep the Christmas tree up all year long. (laughs) it's not really possible is it 
In fact, if we did it all year long, it would not be special. It would become this tedious thing that we did all year long. <laughs> and then maybe we'd have one day a year which was not Christmas, and that would be special. And we'd build up to that. I mean, it's, it's really, what does it mean that we can't keep that magic going? Well, here's what I think it means. I think it means that the Christmas holiday is intended to be a shadow of something that is supposed to be permanent. But as it passes each year and we put the Advent wreath alone away, we realize that it isn't yet permanent. That's not your fault. That's just the reality of the world we live in. That's the reality of the universe. I mean, the whole job of Christmas is to point to a time when we will arrive at home. The whole point of Christmas is to point to a time when that Advent wreath won't have a Christ candle that we light because Christ himself will be the candle. That Christmas is to remind us of a moment when the tree will never come down, so to speak, because what it represents will be true in reality. That moment of us waiting for the Messiah will no longer be an anticipation because he will be physically among us and we with him. But I think the idea of permanence, the idea of a time when the magic of Christmas really will be permanent is almost beyond our comprehension, right? Because that's not the way the world works. We don't see things that stay permanently. We have sayings like, all good things must come to an end. And you know what? In this world, it's true, <laughs> isn't it? I mean, it is true. Christmas stopped at some point. And we know that if we tried to make it last all year, the good about it would end with or without us. So the idea of permanence, of permanent good, of permanent perfection, of permanent beauty, of the magic of Christmas being something which happens all year long, it's just beyond our comprehension. And in fact, for those of us who like change, it might even feel unpleasant to think of a static world where things are always, even if perfect, they don't feel perfect to us if they don't ever change. That feels boring or tedious to some of us. But I think the problem is we're measuring everything from the reality we live in now and not the one that's underneath the surface. The reality is that entropy is the norm in our world right now. That things don't get better, they get worse. That things fade and go away. That year after year we get older, we move towards death. That's a cheerful message for you this new year. But the reality is that's what happens. Houses wear out. Gifts wear out. Clothing wears out. We put our tree away, and there were so... This is a fake tree, mind you, and there were so many pine needles on the floor when we put it away. Because things fall apart. But, what it, but I think we tend to think of the entropy as tedium. <laughs> I mean, then if nothing changed, then it's just a plastic tree which is up all the time. But what if the opposite of entropy isn't tedium? What if the opposite of entropy is not that things get worse or stay just the same, but what if the opposite is things move from one perfect moment to an even better perfect moment from moment to moment? And you say, how can something be perfect to be made better? And I say, I have no idea. But in our world, it's impossible to see, but scripture tells us that what God is going to do for all of eternity for the believers is he's going to shower new and more perfect delights upon us every moment. It's as if each single perfect moment is followed up by a different but equally perfect moment. And so anticipation is never disappointed and it never ends. That is not possible in our world. 
But Christmas is a shadow of it. Our desire for it to last forever is a shadow of it. Right now, in this world, the best we can do, and it is a good thing to do this, the best we can do is embrace the positive moments, is embrace the shadows and the Christmases as they come and, and love them and enjoy them fully, but also hold them loosely, recognizing that all good things must come to an end. But also remembering the Messiah is real. That the holiday points to something which is infinitely satisfying and infinitely dynamic. That there is a reality, there is a universe where change is only positive. And I know those of you who don't like change find that hard to believe. And I don't blame you for that because in our world, change is almost always eventually leading to the other shoe, to the soap opera syndrome, where something bad has to happen to keep the story moving forward. But that's just our world. That's just the shadow. That's not the reality. Scripture tells us of a reality where the opposite of entropy is not static perfection, but dynamic hope. Perfection upon perfection upon perfection, with something exciting always around the corner, and each change only being good, and each moment being only new and only good. See, we forget that the world we live in is under a curse. It just is. As perfect as we want it to be, as perfect as we should try to make it. We should do everything we can to make this world better for ourselves and those around us. There's nothing wrong with that at all. But as much as we try, we should also remember that we live under a curse which our efforts will not undo. And part of that curse is reflected in death and entropy. We live in a universe which is winding down and will not last forever. And it's hard to imagine it any other way, but Christmas reminds us to do so. Christmas reminds us to expand our imagination to a world, to a reality where magic lives forever. Where beauty and perfection are unending. Where entropy is not a thing at all. Where the norm is that things get only more beautiful for infinity. Christmas reminds us we're being saved from our death, from our sin, from our boredom, from our tedium, and even from our disappointment. And that we're being saved by the real Messiah, by Jesus. After Christmas comes the new year, right? And the new year is, of course, artificial. It's not even the same all over the world. I remember sort of the astonishment and the, the enlightenment that I received, the revelation when I went to Ethiopia, that they were seven years. You talk about time zone difference. They're seven years behind us. So when we went there in 2007, they were just celebrating the millennial. And I wanted to say to them, we've been through it, it's okay. <laughs> Isn't that weird? It's so, it's so mind-blowing to realize that is literally an artificial thing. And then you realize that the reason we're seven years ahead is because we're the ones, the rest of the world, that decided to skip seven years once upon a time in order to coordinate the calendars. How arbitrary is that? Can you imagine living during that time? You know, if like the President of the United States said, today is 2022, well, guess what? Tomorrow it's 2029. I'd be all right with that because maybe flying cars would be here then. <laughs> I'm still waiting on those. I was promised those in 2020. Get on it, Elon. <laughs> or Tim, one of you guys. They're working on it. Yeah. <laughs> so it is, it's arbitrary, right? It's just this artificial sense. And... But there is something about it. We hit the new year and we reflect on the past year and we look ahead and we say, we want to make things better. 
And it is artificial, but that isn't to say that that instinct is bad. The truth is we could do that in any day, though. <laughs> right? You've, you've heard that. This today is the first day of the rest of your life. That's supposed to help instill in you the idea that today could be the day that everything changes. Because it's never too late. As long as we walk this earth. So the new year is there to kind of remind us of our opportunity for restoration, to try again, to restart, to wipe the slate clean and give it a new shot, to believe in redemption, to believe in something new. So in our world, in our reality, in our cursed universe that we live in, it's part of that cycle which allows for a reset after the anticlimax of the previous holiday. We say Christmas was great, but it wasn't everything my heart longs for. And then we say but maybe next year. And part of us thinks it's foolish to keep thinking that's going to happen every year, but I want to submit to you it's not. Because someday it will happen. Not because you get the Christmas thing right, <laughs> but because the Messiah will come back and there will be a new heaven and a new earth and it will be that perfection upon perfection, moment to moment that we long for but never see in this fallen, cursed world of entropy. It's useful. It's useful for us to reflect on the past year and look ahead to the new year, right? I don't know how useful resolutions are. Sometimes those feel self-defeating. We make these big goals and then, okay, maybe I speak for myself, make these big goals, then I don't hit them. Then the next year, it feels kind of pointless to even make the same big goals. Year after year after year, how many people are going to lose weight this year that didn't lose weight last year? But again, I think it's useful to believe in change. It's useful to look ahead with hope. I, I don't know, resolutions, I have questions about resolutions. But I do think this desire to reflect on the past and look ahead to the future and to recognize we can make choices and we can make changes, I think that's positive. As long as you remember, you can do that all the time. And if you fail in January, you don't have to wait till next January to try again. <laughs> you can do it tomorrow. But the culture will help you right now and there's something to that. Right? The culture will support you in your desire right now. So what I'd like to do as a church is reflect and look forward. And we're not going to do all that tonight. Tonight, I just want to make one suggestion for you. Something that I would love as a community for us to do. I think it will help you. And yeah, selfishly, I think it will help our community as well. The more of you that commit to this, the more of you that enter the new year with this idea forward, the better our community will be. I believe that. Let's make this the year of eternal things. Is that vague enough for you? Probably. So let me see if I can clarify a little bit. <laughs> I don't mean by that making things eternal which aren't already. That isn't our job, and we can't do that. I don't mean creating things that will be eternal. We can't do that either. That isn't our job. We can't do that. What I do mean, though, is maybe this is the year we focus on the substance instead of the shadows. Maybe this is the year we focus on the reality of a universe which is not fallen or cursed, that is coming. Maybe this is the year we focus on a God who is perfect and beautiful and unendingly new. Maybe this is the year we focus on things which will not ever reach an anticlimax because they are going to be perfect forever. I think it'd be kind of cool to do that. Obviously, as a church, we try to do that. It's not a kind of a church's role anyway <laughs> to focus on things which are eternal. Of course it is. But I would love it if each of us kind of bought into that. Will everybody I'm speaking to do that? I doubt it. But if some of you will, I think it'll help. And here's why. And let me tell you what I, what I mean. I think it can mean a lot of things. And I want you to sort it out. But let me give you some examples. 
There are some things scripture tells us are eternal. So when I say focus on the eternal things, what could it mean? Well, faith, hope, and love. These are told very specifically are eternal, right? We're told these are eternal. There's a lot of things, says scripture, but these three, faith, hope, and love are eternal. Notice the hope's eternal. That means there will always be something new to hope in without it being bad now. Again, the idea of perfection upon changing perfection. The idea of dynamically God doing exciting things which are as perfect as they were the day before, but they're more perfect because they're for today. Think of it that way. What if God came to us and gave us exactly what we needed for today? Our habit is to fall into nostalgia and tomorrow we want what we got today. But what if God were able to say to us and we were able to actually hear him, you know what you got yesterday was perfect for yesterday. It's not perfect for today. Let me give you this for today. Oh, okay. Then you begin to look forward to what's perfect for tomorrow. That's how I think it works. But those are these, these faith and hope and love are part of these eternal things. What if we had a year where we focused on these as our resolution? What if your goal was to say, I want to find faith and hope and love? I can't tell you how to do it. I think together over the next year, that'll be our journey. And know that this church, that is one of our stated purposes to help you to make your journey of faith easier. That's what we want to do. So what if we made that goal together? What if we said, what if we sought with the same obsession that we sometimes seek the perfect job or the perfect spouse or the perfect children, the perfect life? What if we took the same energy with which we seek those things, which are not bad, I hope all those things for you. <laughs> But what if we took the energy of those things we're seeking and instead we sought faith and hope and love? What if that was our stated goal this year? Well, one thing you'll run into, I'm going to address this in just a second, is that nobody in the world is going to help you. That's kind of depressing. But I mean this literally. Nobody in the world is going to help you. We will. We'll help each other. But nobody else out there has those same goals. Do you understand that? Apart from the church, almost nobody's going to have those goals because why would they? They're going to want to drag you down and tell you to keep your feet on the ground and make your focus on things that you can see right here, right now. But what if you focused on the things which are actually of substance and recognize the things that you see right here, right now are merely shadow? It's kind of backwards, isn't it? But that's the kind of world Jesus encourages us to see was the backwards world. There's one other eternal thing I want to bring up, and that's people. People are eternal. I don't know what it means to make people part of your goal this year necessarily, and I definitely want to be clear. It doesn't mean that thing that popped into your head that felt the most dreadful. It's probably not that. See, if you, there may be some of you who just need to focus on one relationship, and maybe you're an introvert and you're like, oh my gosh, now suddenly I have to become an extrovert. No, I don't think that. As an introvert, I will stand up for your right to be an introvert, even in the church. <laughs> and, as a, and if you're an extrovert and you're thinking, oh gosh, he's telling me I have to not hang out with so many people and just focus on one. No, I'm not saying any of that. I don't know what it looks like for you, but I think that I just want to remind you of this quote from C.S. Lewis. There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations... These are mortal. And their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. Have you thought about that? Spent a lot of time worrying about our civilizations, our culture, our society. C.S. Lewis reminds us, to us as people, those are but the size of a gnat. They don't last at all. 
But it is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit, immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. This does not mean we are to be perpetually solemn. We must play. But our merriment must be of that kind, and it is, in fact, the merriest kind, which exists between people who have, from the outset, taken each other seriously. No flippancy, no superiority, and no presumption. What if you saw people that way this year? <laughs> what if that thing you saw that bugs you, that, that external appearance and behavior that you saw, what if you remembered that was a shadow? And the real person behind them is deeper, more complex, more beautiful and more interesting than you dared consider, as are you. So what if we focused on these things? What if we avoided the world's desire to drag us back down to the ground and said, no, this year we're going to focus on faith and hope and love and other people and, of course, the origin, source, and creator of all eternal things, God himself. What if we focused there? What if it was our goal to get to know those things this year? To become people who live in that world. If we do that, I guarantee you, next Christmas will not only be fantastic, and yes, there will be a little bit of letdown when it turns out the Lord hasn't returned yet, if he hasn't, but it will be less anticlimactic because you will be clinging to the things of eternity. This is all a little bit vague. I know it is. And part of it is because I want to work it out together with you. I want us as a community to learn what it means to focus on eternal things, but I want to encourage you to make this the year of eternal things. Some of you take notes. If you're taking a note, make sure that is written down on your paper there make, or on your computer or your phone. Make this the year of eternal things. I do have a, just a couple of suggestions and I'll make these quickly and then we're going to spend some time in communion this evening. I know. I saw some people look at their watch and they said, wow, is he serious? Well, who knows? <laughs> Because remember that pastors like Paul like to say, and finally, and then go on for six more chapters, which Paul literally does in one of his books. But I'm going to try not to do that. <laughs> because I, I do want to keep this short tonight. So how do we build these things? Faith and hope and love. How do we focus on people? How do we focus on the Lord, the Messiah? How do we focus on the substance instead of the shadow? Let me remind you one more time. Nobody out there is going to help you do it. That is not a knock against them. It is an ex understanding that's not their priority. Why would they help you? So if you look for the rest of the world to understand your goals and run with you towards them, I'm just telling you, it's not going to happen. If you hung out with the people, whoever you hang out with last year, and you found that by hanging out with them, you were not focused on things of faith and hope and love and God and people and eternal things, but instead on things of the earth, let me just tell you, it's likely to be the same again this year if that's the people you spend all your time with. Again, not a knock on them, and I'm not telling you don't spend time with people who don't have this perspective. Clearly, they're still immortal, even if they don't believe it, and deserve our love and respect. But I just want to say to you, if this is your goal, it will help you to unite yourself with people who have a similar goal, which is why I said, if some of us will commit to making this the year of eternal things, it will make us a better community because we will help each other do that. And by the way, I'm not making a presumption that some of you haven't already made this your goal. I'm not making a presumption that last year you weren't already in, 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 engaged in this. And to you, I say, good news is we're coming to join you. 
So here's some things that will help you in your goal by making sure that you are surrounding yourself with people who have the same goal. You will not be surprised to know that the number one thing on my list for our community is focus groups. I have said it before. I will say it again. And I will say it as long as focus church is a thing. Because if this ever changes, then we're a new church and we'll be, I'll be done or gone. I don't know what it means if I stop saying this, but it means we're not us anymore. Focus groups are what we believe is church. Are what we believe is. I'll let Lorian sort out the grammar of that. But point is, focus, the focus group is what we believe is church. There we go. We believe that, that discipleship happens there. And it is one of our stated goals in our groups that our job with each other is to make the journey easier for you. And the journey we're referring to there is a journey of faith. There is no other entity in the world other than the church whose stated goal is to make your journey of faith easier. I'm just telling you, it doesn't exist. It's not the government. It's not the school. It's not the pop culture. It's not the guru down the street. It's not your life coach. There is nobody else whose goal is to help your faith grow because that is precisely what the church has been created for. And we believe this happens best in those groups where we interact in life with each other. So what I would say to you is, if you're already engaged in focus groups, keep at it. If you're watching on Facebook or Zoom and you're not in a focus group, let me implore you, give it a shot. And we can do this long distance. We've, we've had a year now of practice, more than a year now. We're getting better at it. We'll get better at it as time goes on. We can do it. Let us know. And we'll help you get involved in a focus group because there's no better way to keep your eye on the prize than to be with other people who prize the same thing that you do. So dig in. If you're already part of the focus groups, look at your engagement and dig in further if you, if you need to. Make sure that you're sharing your gift and your grace. Make sure that you're helping other people in their journey of faith and make sure that you're doing something I've said over and over. Learn to be somebody who is both needy and needed. And let me be clear about that. When I say that, the truth is you are somebody who is both needy and needed, whether you know it or not. All I really mean is recognize and act like somebody who is both needy and needed. <laughs> this is church for us. All members of our focus groups are members of our church as far as I'm concerned. I've met many of you over the years that are surprised when I tell you you're a member of a church and you didn't know it. I don't care <laughs> if you know it. <laughs> but that is what church is for us. If you attend a group, you attend our church. And if you only have energy and strength for one thing and focus, let it be your group. I do believe the discipleship you get there will be more relevant, more permanent, and lasting than any other discipleship you get. That's what we believe. But I do want to say this is also really the basic minimum. This is the basic minimum. I think there are a couple of other things that can help move the needle. Also, if you're serious about making this a year about eternal things. Again, don't pile on until you no longer have time for your focus group. You lose that, then you're not part of the church as I understand it. Make that your priority. If that's all you got room for, go there, be there without guilt. But if you want to make changes this year and you feel like you want to move that needle and focus on eternal things, I have a couple of other suggestions for you that might help. The larger gathering. This thing we're doing here tonight. This is so important for me. I really want to stress this again. 
Focus groups are not in existence to get people to come to the larger gathering. That is the way churches have functioned for so long that I have to be really clear about that. They do not exist to support the larger gathering. The larger gathering exists to support each of you in your groups. That is my wholehearted belief. So this is not church, and this is not the priority, but it is a resource we provide for you because we believe it's valuable. In fact, the term larger gathering may be a misnomer. Tonight, it might be true. Some nights, what happens here is not larger in attendance than what happens in your groups. And that's okay. We don't care about that. We don't measure our success by attendance at this moment. And we don't invest as much energy and resources into it as we do the groups. But what we do invest, what our worship team invests, what I invest, we invest for you. So it's an opportunity for those who want a little more help staying focused throughout the week. Because spending time in agreement, praying together, singing together, worshiping the unseen God of eternity together helps you remember that he is more substantive than the things of the earth. Teachings on eternal things can offset the frequent radio heads, news anchors, talk show hosts, books, and movies that so often only dwell in the shadows, which we're all inundated with all the time. You really have, I think, two options if you want to live a life of faith in the world. And one is to become a monk or a nun and cloister yourself away and stay away from the world. And the other is just make sure that you are tied into other people who know what it means to be in the world, but not of the world. There's lots of reasons I actually think that's preferable to the monk, although I have literally some very good friends who are monks and they're great people. I'm not disparaging that way of life and simply saying there are some reasons I think it's not for all of us and wouldn't be where God would have us all go. God did not create a monastery. Jesus did not institute a convent. He instituted the church and said, be in the world, but don't be of the world. Consider where you are in this and consider maybe just moving up a step. If you don't come at all, and if you don't come at all, then you're not hearing this, and it's one of those weird moments where I'm speaking to somebody who's not here. But if you don't come at all, <laughs> and you happen to by fluke to end up here, consider coming once a month. If you don't come at all, consider coming via Zoom. If you come via Zoom and you're local, consider coming in person. Wherever you are, consider moving a step up with your goal to be, not to impress me, because I won't be impressed by that, just to be clear. <laughs> and not to impress God, because he'll be even less impressed by that. <laughs> but in order to encourage you to make this the year of eternal things, to help you keep your mind focused. There's a reason we're called focus. It's because we believe that is a church's job, is to help you focus. Number three, private time with God. Spend time with God regularly in, in private. private. Now, let me be clear. There are no church police. Nobody is going to come around and make sure that you're having some private time with God. Because what I've discovered is even when a church tries to do that, tries to help people, even with good intentions, the second we do that, that private time with God becomes not a private time with God, but it becomes a time, even though nobody's there, that you're having with me in mind <laughs> or your church in mind. 
And it doesn't become a very special private moment with God. It becomes anything but that. So we're not going to be doing that. We never do that. That's not our goal to do that. I am only telling you this not to tell you, hey, do this to impress me or us or anybody. Not because you get spiritual brownie points. When you get to heaven, Jesus is not going to ask that. But I am encouraging it. Because if you don't spend any time with the unseen eternal God, when are you ever going to learn who he is? (laughs) And that private time with him is an opportunity to do that. Now, what that looks like and when it happens and how often it is and how long it lasts, there's no formula and it's entirely up to you. I spend regular time with God, but it's not always the same. And it's not always at the same time. Spend some time in prayer. Spend some time in scripture. Read through the Bible. Read through a book of the Bible. The point I want to make is this. Whatever you invest in that private time with God will shore you up against the looming despair of the world. Does that sound good? (laughs) That's my point. I'm not asking you to do it because there's something, there's a badge in it for me or you. I literally believe what you invest in that time with God whether you feel it at the moment or not, and sometimes you will feel absolutely nothing, and that is okay. But I believe that what you invest in that time with God will shore you up against the looming despair of the world. So these are three things I just want you to think about this year, and not because they're duties you need to perform. There's a reason I didn't open with these, because as soon as our church says these things, they become a checklist. I don't know how to tell you about these things without making them a checklist, so I just have to implore you to try to hear this in the way it's intended, which is not a checklist of spirituality for you. It's a necessity of growth. It's a necessity of shoring yourself up against the despair of the world, reminding yourself you belong to a a non-cursed universe of ever-increasing perfect change. and not in a world of ever-increasing deterioration, which is all you see. And because it's all you see, if you don't surround yourself with people who are invested in the ideas of eternal things, then I fear that you will find your mind dragged to temporal things. It has been my distinct sorrow to watch too many friends of mine over the last couple of years who have been swallowed up by temporal things. People who helped me seek eternal things, who now can't seem to seem their way past the next four years. Let's as a community, let's make this a year of eternal things. And so one way we're gonna do that tonight and every once a month is we're gonna have communion. So we're gonna take some time here to focus on the Lord who brings us hope, on the Messiah who didn't just just come at Christmas, but is God with us today and promises that he is preparing a beautiful, amazing place for us and he will be back for us. And we can anticipate that every moment of every day. And even as we wait, he is engaged in our lives. Even as we wait, he wants to give us things to increase our hope and our faith, and our love. 
Most churches believe in the value of small groups, but at Focus Church, we are so convinced that's where the discipleship happens that we put all of our resources, our training, and our assessment into the Focus Groups. And we believe that you can be part of a Focus Group from anywhere in the country. So if you'd like to join us, just email me at pastormac, M-A-C, underscore at mac.com and I'd love to tell you how you can be part of it. Either way, I hope this has been encouragement to you and we'll see you here again next week.